Thank you for listening to The Apprenticeship Diaries. This is Clear the Way, part one of Amy's interview with Patrick Ross. Welcome to The Apprenticeship Diaries, where raw meets refined. Let's be real, we're still working on refined. <laughs> what it took, what it takes, and the stories that are made. Join us as we learn from professionals about how their stories begin. We're recording. Hello, Apprenticeship Diary listeners. I'm here today with Pat Ross. Uh, currently, Pat is uh, taking a hiatus right now to look after his kids, which is really, really cool. I actually, um, in preparing for the show, I was kind of like stalking you a bit on Instagram. And <laughs> I, I just followed you, by the way. I'm always behind on like oh, my follow <laughs> uptick. It's terrible. No, because like I'm like, I should be following these people before. <laughs> Before I'm interviewing them, it's terrible. Um, just so everybody knows, that's that's like a personal issue. Social media is really. Um, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying. It's hard. Right, it's hard. Some people are so good at it, and I completely understand when you're not because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> well, for us, I think it was a generational thing too. Like you know. Mm-hmm. We didn't grow up with it. How long have you um, been a tattoo artist at this point? 23 years. Oh, dude. So you're yeah. like, you're even more than me. Like I, I, um, I came at what I believe is like the renaissance of the tattoo world where like all the fucking art kids started coming in and changing the right. game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're like, you don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Because, because a lot of us sat back and went, what? Fuck. That's. <laughs> What like when you look at certain people's artwork now, and it's like if you could time travel back to you know two thousand ish when I was just kind of like really getting through my apprenticeship and everything, and they'd whip out that picture of like a uh, you know like a poor color full color portrait that's almost photorealistic, and I'd be like, that's fake. Like you can't that's you can't do that. Like you just can't do that in tattooing. Like right, that's not possible. And now I mean these these kids are so good and they're pushing the boundaries so hard and it really is it's inspiring and and terrifying at the same time yeah because you just see what's possible and you're like i could whip out a nice butterfly i mean it's just, <laughs> just it's it's hard i get i get down to myself because they see that work and i'm like i i should just quit i no, they're too good i can't do that like <laughs> Well, we met at um, Weird Ink Society via Jordan uh, LaFay. So um, definitely another to follow. Um, we already interviewed her. She, um, I'm interviewing Garrett from um, Black Coffin later. And he's, oh, cool. he's determined to trump her on the amount of time that she spent talking. So if you wanted to break records right now and give Garrett a real run for his money, we can totally, <laughs> we can totally do that. I could try, but I would say probably somewhere like halfway through the kids would come storming in, you know, (laughs) right? the dog would jump on my lap and it would all devolve into me, you know, what are you doing? What's going on? Who's that dinosaur? All right, cool. You know, it would be a different kind of podcast. It'd be cool. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. It would be the the stay at home dad podcast. Uh, (laughs) Hey, that that's an apprenticeship diary journey all on its own. And we, I would love to talk to you about that more because it's something that like, uh, you know, our listeners, the, the biggest thing about uh, this for me was giving people a catalog of, of stories to listen to so that they could feel okay. Yeah. They could feel good in their journey and let themselves know that like wherever you're at, man, like mm. it's fine. Like life yeah. takes us on these journeys and it's not about, you know, it's just not all about all of the, the glitz and glam and all this stuff that of course all of us seek. It's it's about making solid choices for what you know you need to to have in your life and what's what's good and what's accountable. So yeah. I think that's I think that's awesome and it is it is an uh, an interesting thing that I like to hear about because for me personally, when I was going through my apprenticeship, the first one was during a bad relationship, mm. and then the second one, I was told that I would lose my relationship. <laughs> Because, oh. <laughs> because the tattoo apprenticeship would have me lose it. So 
I'm always here. And it, and it did, it, it broke, it broke it up. But um, I think I just wasn't with the right person and, you know, meeting people like Jordan who has been with like Pip and they have a shop together. It, mm-hmm. it shows me that that's not, that's not the truth of things. Mm-hmm. That's not how it goes. So no. let's, let's get into you. What, what was okay. your story? Yeah. Like in the beginning. Um, I, I, I guess the beginning would be my mom. Um, she was an artist. She was an oil wow. painter. She did portraits. Um, and I always thought that was amazing to this day. I, I don't like portraits, um, and doing them. I'm not like, yeah. I mean, she can sit down and draw somebody's face and, and just knock it out. And, and I'm struggling and fighting and, and I'm happy when the blob kind of looks like the person I'm looking at. Um, but I would be in the basement doing art with her, or she would let me use one of her old canvases and I would do whatever. So I always had that connection to art um and then as i got older and older i got more and more into it and and found some pride in creating things and when i went to college uh, i struggled with choosing a direction like i didn't didn't really know what i wanted to do but i had to go to college mom told me i had to go to college so eventually it landed on um teaching nice and, and uh, wanted to be a teacher, wanted to be a special ed teacher. I had these ideas of like creating an art curriculum if they didn't have one or just being able to do art with the kids that I wanted to teach. But um, I wasn't good at college and I, I didn't have focus. I lost my father when I was 19 and wasn't dealing with it well. So to go to school every day was hard, you know, because mm-hmm. all you saw were these like happy college kids partying and doing it all up and and I was just miserable I mean, miserable yeah. and uh deeply depressed and not dealing with it correctly and so of course I didn't go to school I just stopped right. you know going to class so I flunked out and um was getting tattooed at the time and doing art and and enjoying it um just getting tattooed and and you know seeing I would buy tattoo magazines I remember um getting a tattoo magazine with I think one of Corey Miller's dragons were like on the cover. And I was just like, Oh, that's okay. it. That's the, that's the thing, man. Wow. You know? <laughs> so I would sit there and just like copy. Like I, I, I didn't have a, a frame of reference. So I would just like redraw his dragons and, and I just enjoyed doing it. So then I started getting the tattoos and then I flunked out of college and I, I tried to go back and you know, we kind of talked about this story a little bit, but during my interview, I, I sort of made a joke that, hey, if they didn't let me back in, I'd go somewhere else. And they invited me to go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> so I fortuitously had a tattoo appointment that day to have a piece worked on. And I was pretty comfortable at this place at the time. It was called Rogue's Gallery. Um, and I was telling uh, my artist, Brad, what happened, you know, with the interview and everything. And, and he just kind of like threw it out there. He's like, wow, I, maybe you should be a tattoo artist. Like, I think you'd be a really good tattoo artist. And I was like, shook. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. Um, can I have an apprenticeship? And he was like, no, not at all. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Thanks. Uh, you're very helpful. Hang out? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was like literally somebody was, uh, I don't know if you remember the peanuts, like Lucy and the football, like he put the football down and I went to kick it. He just, you know, yanked it away. Right on out. Yeah. (laughs) Which couldn't have been for the better, to be honest, because I did, I just hung out and I got more tattoos and I drew and I met the artists that worked there and they became my friends. And then other artists would come and get tattooed there. And that's when I met my future like boss mentor my first apprenticeship um her name is uh josie paulson she runs um uh skin prints in eau claire <laughs> i can't believe it there's so many out. now like it's, it's so, many. so it, it's just like it's like okay now you have to recall a name and it's just my brain just no <laughs> um but i met her and her sister jen and they were fantastic um we talked and talked and talked. I showed them my art and Josie just called me up one day and she's like, Hey, like, do you want an apprenticeship? Do you want to come work with us? And I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. 
you know? So it's, it's funny because it, my apprenticeship started at one shop technically and, and, and ended at the other, but it all came full circle. Cause after my apprenticeship, Brad came back to me and he wanted to quit and he wanted me to run a shop. So I ended up taking over rogues gallery almost immediately after my apprenticeship, which was wow, not just a, good a idea. terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, but I respect oh. my mentors so much and I love them to this day. They're great people. I stayed working with them even after I took that shop over for two years, I think. Like I would split my days. Like I was working six, seven days a week. Like every other day, my shop, their shop, my shop, their shop. Like wow. they were 40 miles apart. So it was enough of a space. And yeah, I just, I just I launched myself into it. Yeah. I, well, there's two things I want to say. One is how rogue of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a whole, there's a comedian. Her name is Kathleen Madigan and she's yeah. talking to her. Have you seen her? And she's yes. talking about her brother, Jack, and how he wanted to call his kid Hamish. And she's like, I believe there's power in a name. And she's like, you can't call him Hamish. That is a bartender. That is always going to be a bartender no matter <laughs> what. <laughs> how rogue of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and that is that is a big word for you and how you um, you know moniker yourself throughout social media and I think that that's um, that's cool and as we were talking about you know you you kind of regretted a little bit or at least you expressed that the the joke that you you said at the end of your college interview and I said yeah. I don't know man like I th- I think that I think the universe did you a big favor you know like I really do and. I do see the potential of you still doing what you set out to do in school um, because now you, you could definitely do that with the education that you have through tattooing. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of the plan right now um, with taking a step back from tattooing um, and realizing I have this time and I have the flexibility because my wife is so incredible and works so hard. Um, that it allows me to kind of, you know, take care of the kids, you know, and I was working like part-time, you know, tattooing and take care of the kids. And now I'm just sort of taking care of the kids. Um, and now I, I want to kind of go into the paraprofessional world and, and teach or work with teachers with special ed kids um, and kind of get that experience. That's awesome. And get a little of that on me. And then try to continue focusing on tattooing as well. Like, to find that art um i don't want to lose the edge yeah you don't lose it you don't like it's always there you know you you don't stop riding the bicycle um you just stop making money at it well that that's part of that's part of the artist struggle no matter what right like we have to and that's that's part of our listener struggle too right because um you know, if they're in a profession that's giving them a lot of money and a lot of support and security, it's really hard to think of like, well, this isn't my passion, but Mm -hmm. you know, this is something that's providing for me. You know, I, what, what happens and what do I have to do in order to, to, you know, have my passion realized and who do Mm -hmm. I have to lean on and, and are my, you know, is my foundation secure? Right. So but in the beginning, and, and this is added context that I didn't know about, you know, you didn't, you didn't have your dad there. And so uh, it makes a whole other layer of sense as to why, um, you know, your life went the way it was. I don't think it was necessarily the fact that you were just, you know, not good at school. It was like, you, you couldn't focus, you no, know, it like was, that, yeah. that was a lot. And I think art provides and that's the thing that it provides for our clients too, right? It provides this necessary catharsis mm-hmm. and you were already identifying that very young mm-hmm. and, and what it could be for somebody else who has to struggle through whatever life has delved them as yeah. their cards to play. Right. So that, that's a really cool thing, man. Like um, I'm happy within our days of um, mine lesser than yours, but, but my days of technology were about the same. Lots of things were tangible. Like I'm able to go through old papers of mine and things like that, that I didn't during college and, mm-hmm. and like, look at them and be like, dude, you, you are on to a lot here. Like, you, should, 
you should go back. And I'm in that phase in my life too, because I had a stop and start during COVID. And I'm really trying to assess like, what is, what is my artistic path or vision um, coming in the future? You know, I have a small studio right now. It's small potatoes, but I don't want to make it big potatoes until I'm sure. So I feel the same yeah. as you. Um, and I think it's a good, it's a good pause because, you know, like my boyfriend always says like to launch an arrow, you got to pull it back. Yeah. That's yeah. So that's very, yeah. Yeah. So he's like, and then you're just like, but you got to aim, you got to do all that stuff. And then you just, you hit your target and it's so great. So I think that's really cool. So what did your, um, at the time, um, was it called skin prints that she had it that long or, or was it called something else? It was called skin prints. Um, it was, um, she had a tiny studio. It was like a room or two connected to her mom's beauty salon. Oh, right on. Um, and she worked with her sister. I think her sister started tattooing a little bit before me. Um, it's a very close family. The Paulsons are amazing. Um, but they are three. There's a third sister. They are all fiery redheads with the temperament to match. They are it. just like, it was the greatest place for me to start. And I love that I, I started working with um, women. I, yeah. I, I basically grew up with my mom um, and I just, I, I was comfortable and I fit right in and they were great. Um, but yeah, and it was a little shop and it started out, you know, in this tiny little, I mean, it's like a hole in the wall would be a fitting, Grace. you know, but then she just kept, she's very good at, at, um, realizing her dreams and she just kept growing. we moved to a new location and then they, uh, since then moved to a, another location and they're probably, um, if not the most popular, you know, definitely, definitely one of the most popular shops in the area. They do great That's work awesome. and they're great people. Um, when I closed my shop three, four years ago, that was one of the first calls I got was from Josie saying, Hey, you need a job. You want to come work here? You know, like it just, it, it was in a moment that was bittersweet. It, it was something that I really needed that, yeah. you know, that they still had the confidence in me and that we still had this great connection. Um, that would have been an insane drive for me every day, <laughs> but I just, I really appreciated it. So it was just a great experience. Like I really, I, I value my apprenticeship I had with them and, um, appreciate them to this day. That's so cool. I, I, um, yeah, I mean, you say that, but I just right away, I mean, you wouldn't be on my podcast if I didn't think you were dope. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I think that you get what you put out there in the world. You maybe not give yourself enough credit for, for how awesome you were. Cause it seems like you were a hustler, man. You were going back and forth from both places. You were hungry. You knew you had to get your shit together. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it was at the time it, it, it didn't seem like it. I didn't feel like it. Um, yeah. but you're young, your focus is there. Um, and you got to eat, man. Yeah. <laughs> you got to eat, you know, the apprenticeships are hard Dude. and <laughs> It's you, you're finding, you got to find that other job to keep yourself, to keep a roof over your head and food in your mouth and gas in the car. And, and yeah, you had to hustle, yeah. you know, and I, and I think about it now and I'm just like, Oh God, I don't, I don't have the energy for that. <laughs> like I can't, I, I don't have that hustle in me anymore. Miles sure, and I you got two kids. kids around. Yeah. You got two kids. kids. Yeah. Yep. That's the, yeah, that's the energy. At, waking up at two o'clock in the morning to check my son's blood sugar and, you know, yeah. oh, now he needs a juice. All right, come on, buddy. Let's have a juice. You know, yep. no, it's a different hustle now. Yeah, no, you do have the energy. It's just directed to different things that mm-hmm. are, you know, my, my, my ex actually, that didn't survive um, my second apprenticeship. Um, he's like, I just wish that I was like, um, like the, like the most important thing on your list, basically. And I was like, well, you're on the fucking list, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. You yeah. made the list. Yeah. There's not many things on the list. Some days 
you're not going to be on the top of the list. Some days mm-hmm. this is going to be on the top. Of the, it's a, it's a rotating yeah. scale, buddy. Like yeah. you can't always be at the top of my motherfucking list. And <laughs> like, I'm, I'm the top of the list. First yeah. of all, first. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I. Yeah. I'm, you're all, I'm always going to be the top of the right. list. Or at right. least I should be. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a big ask for a partner. For real. <laughs> wow. For real. Well, I think the biggest thing was that it was a competition between my job and him. And I think it was the love of my art, but I was like, it was, it was, that was founded way before him. And that's now a part of me. That is, that is like a reflection of me. Like, it's not my identity. I will, you know, but I am, that's what I, I do, you know, like that's everything I am. If you didn't want to be with an artist, don't be with an artist, but like, you you can't, you can't take that out of me, man. (laughs) And and you can't hope to compete with it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a thing that you try to compete with. You, you appreciate, you know, Mm -hmm. and you enjoy that. And I, I could not imagine a serious significant other during an apprenticeship it's it would be it would be hard and they would have to be especially supportive and and understanding um and it's not to say that you completely forget your partner if you do have one and you're going through an apprenticeship you don't forget them um but you should also like you said put yourself first and understand that value and if they are pushing against your goals if they're pushing against your hustle um Maybe it's time for a reevaluation or a sit down and a talk because they should be supportive. They should be next to you, not in front of you. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, because I, I'm going to say I, it's probably happened that there have been people that have put themselves in front of somebody's apprenticeship and ruined it for them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe kept them from having a very fulfilling career. And more than likely that, relationship probably ended anyway yeah yeah so i you know to apprentices out there that are that are in the middle of it like it's okay to set that boundary it's okay to yeah you know and you know what it was it, it was an odd thing because there was moments that he was very supportive and there was moments that i wasn't supportive of him um but it was different in that with me at least that I could tell I always loved art and it was insatiable. Like it was just something that I, I would have done had it been anything like, Mm. like really had it been anything. Um, I, with tattooing, I saw a path. I saw, I could do the kind of art that's signature to me. And then I could work with another person, which is very much so what I like, cause I come from here. Um, and then, you know, I, I could make money and make a name for myself and then do my art. So I saw a path to everything uh, with yeah. him. He was an audio engineer. So at one point with his, his passion, which he now does, I'm so happy he found his way back to it. Although I will say he found his way back in a way that I recommended he do. Um, <laughs> so I was like, dude, why don't you just fucking DJ or why don't you like do something like that? Like I would have done anything to do it on the side, which is what an apprenticeship teaches us. Right. Like you had said, mm-hmm. you get that side job that, that pays the bill while you're fucking grinding, you know, mm-hmm. not having any income whatsoever. And there's no health benefits. There's no paid vacation. There's no retirement. There's, fucking dick <laughs> no support nothing no it's, support it's, on that. <laughs> yeah so like with him i was like you know you could you could go back to school and you know an audio engineer like you could get an engineering degree in anything go work for somebody and he did he worked for mm. he worked for um a government contractor that made drones and really climbed in that company, but that, that made him feel bad because he had to walk away from his passion. Um, which, you know, I think they get, get blamed on me a little bit, but I was just kind of looking at the logistics of like, you know, for him to do audio engineering at the time when I met him, he was working two other jobs to sustain that passion. Yeah. And I was like, bro, like this doesn't seem like it's working for you. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, 
don't know what to tell you, but like, <laughs> yeah. you, you got bills to pay, man. Like, yeah. like you got to do something. And I, I think going back to school to do something where you get a bigger pay, you know, raise, then you pursue the, the, the career on the side that is your passion would be the yeah. thing. Um, but that's a lot of me. So you didn't meet your wife when you were apprenticing. Um, I'm, okay. Well, no. well, talk to me about your apprenticeship because that's, um, that's what, uh, people come here to learn too. Like, how did that look? Um, it was, it was very cooperative. Um, it was fun. Um, there wasn't hazing. That's good. You know, it, it, it was, <clears throat> Well, partly I was very appreciative for what I had. So I was very eager to help out, you know, we need lunch. All right, let me go get lunch. You know, we need this, you know, like I would, I would jump up and do that stuff. Um, and then it was, you know, kind of your standard apprenticeship. Like I, I would hang out, answer the phone, help people with their paperwork, you know, get things organized, make stencils, do drawings, like all the day-to-day stuff to help your artist you know, just kind of go from one thing to the next and, and get things done. Um, but I mean, there were always, always a lot of things like if, if they would move to a new home, like I was the first guy there to help them move, you know, um, it was anything. It was, I, I, I have a tendency to adopt the people I work with as part of my family. Yeah. Um, and so, because you spend so much time with them, why wouldn't they kind of feel like a family? Well, and at essence, I feel like that's um, that's the thing that you really are passionate about. You know, like, I mean, your journey started with your mom, which mm-hmm. was the family you had, really, uh, into adulthood. So I feel like cultivating family has been a passion of yours, you know, for a very long time. I think so. so. Yeah, I think it's. I think and if you look at my, you know, my family history and, and stuff with losing my dad and my parents were divorced, you know, early on. So, um, I think I often seek family, you yeah. know, because I didn't, I didn't get the, that core nuclear family that you see on TV and everybody's happy or, you know, that's, yeah. that's the perception, you know, when you're a, a kid of a divorced family and, and, you know, everybody's happy and all the family or all the parents are there. And like, <laughs> so I think you. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like, oh, yes, you know, Christ. whatever. Yes. I'm in my, I'm in my fifth elementary school in five years, but you know, I'm glad your dad's still around. Um, <laughs> so I think I always, I do have a tendency to, to bring people in. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Um, and, yeah. and you know, you're not alone. And that's the greatest thing about that is that like, you know, there's a lot of people who shared your story that are, are equally looking and needing that. So that's great. Yeah. I'm glad that you guys were there for each other in those moments. Uh, you know, I was lucky. I <laughs> yeah. was lucky. Well, it sounds like everybody was. Sounds like, you know, you were, you were a good apprentice too. Like you were, I th- yeah. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Tried. <laughs> I mean, I'll have to interview her to know, but I think, <laughs> yeah. I think if the, she's like shouting out job offers, you know, regardless, she's like, yeah, man, I'll have him around no matter what. <laughs> You get her on the podcast. She's like, oh, is he such a pain? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she'll have some colorful stories. You always do from mentor to mentee. You know, you remember different things. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think I would be terrible. Like, I, it would be fun to sit out on that. But I think I'd need like some sort of filter to keep my face from looking so red. You know, <laughs> that's good though. I, a lot of, a lot of fun things, a lot of fucked up things. Like you either experience together or like whatever. I mean, I know mine was littered with a lot of great moments like that. Um, yeah. It's a lot of great moments. Uh, <laughs> what, what are, what were some things that you um, learned? Did you ever, did you, uh, did you learn to make needles? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, you had to. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, um, you could buy prepackaged needles, but they were much more expensive. Yeah. Um, and it just made sense. And we all, you know, I mean, everybody sort of learned to make needles. So why would I spend all that money? Um, so yeah, that was one of the first things, you know, and I remember just that, oh, there were days we'd shut the shop down, you know, cause we knew everybody was out, you know? 
and you would just have this huge round table and well, there'd be like all, five or flux, six of us you know like everywhere you know like it's probably a good idea to shut the shop down because right. the fumes <laughs> right the fumes and the swearing you know like oh my the, god ah. <laughs> <laughs> I built another one. Oh. Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I only I learned uh, so my my guy, he he knew how to do it and he showed me. Um and I got got it conceptually and I only I was able to like tack one, but I never like we ordered them and he for the most part just examined them and made sure they were fine and yeah, all that good stuff. But yeah, I <laughs> I never learned how to how to make them make them. I know that conceptually, but I did stain glass, so I know how oh. I know how to solder and yeah. and things like that. So I kind of yeah. know the the chemistry of it all and yeah. the kind of application. Which is but totally yeah. helpful. Yeah. I mean, just knowing <laughs> knowing a, a a good solder from a bad solder. You know, you see some people they make these needles and the solder's all lumpy and just a, <laughs> like just a mess. It's like you can't. That doesn't that doesn't work. You that's know. insane glass too, man. Like you, you're like. That's not, <laughs> I mean, those they're they're holding. That's holding together. Right, it's, <laughs> it's not coming apart. It's not going to win any beauty pageants. <laughs> also, not going to move through the tube, but well, it's yeah, not coming that, apart. <laughs> that's the reason why it has to be flush with it. Like in stained glass, it's just uh, aesthetically not cool. But but right. on. I'm a needle grouping man. You gotta, you know, people who don't, you know, they're not getting this visually. There's there's a tube that the needle has to glide through. Yeah. And uh if it won't pass through, man, that's not acceptable. It's not gonna do shit. No. <laughs> Except for burn yeah. up your machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be staring at your machine like, why isn't it running? And it's yeah. Your your needle is crammed into the tube and and forcing everything from moving. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> Some exciting news, diary listeners. We actually got a wonderful promotional code from Reinventing the Tattoo recently, and we're happy to share this with you. It's ten percent off on a subscription to Reinventing the Tattoo. And if you don't know about this wonderful, wonderful service, it's continuing education for working professionals, very geared around tattooers. But I would venture to say that if you are looking to improve your art skills and have regular momentum to your creativity and to your own professional education, I can't recommend it enough. One of the prime people that you will be critiqued by and helped with and draw with and all of that good stuff is Guy Atchison. And if you don't know about him, you probably should. He is a very, very pivotal person in our industry. I joined them for, for one exercise. I, I did a color study. I mean, Rico sat there and, and watched me the other night do mm -hmm. a, a color study exercise with Guy and company, and it was amazing. I was flexing all kinds of muscles. It's just all around if you want to improve your art skills. I can't see a better way than hanging out with a lot of professional artists and seeing the kind of work that they do and the kind of exercises they work on all the time. It's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. So again, that's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. And that's gonna save you 10% on your subscription. Go check it out, folks. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a lot of needle making. Um, and it's funny, as much as I hated it, we it was still fun. You look back on those days and you just laugh, like the amount of needles we made. Um, so, yeah, we made needles, um, built machines, or at least learned how to repair them. Um, you know, again, because you're back in the coil days, like there weren't, rotaries weren't, they were around, but they were, the quality was terrible. Um, so you had to, you had to learn how to repair your machine. Um, so we did a lot of that stuff. I think the only thing I never really learned was how to mix my own pigments. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly, messy. <laughs> oh, it's messy. And it just seemed like, again, for an apprentice or an early tattoo artist, there's a, there's like a paywall <laughs> because you know, all we ever heard was a story of, uh, there's an artist in Minneapolis named Sean Anderson. Mm -hmm. who 
you know, through enough people that I know, I've heard enough stories about him. And the rumor always was that he had a blender for every color set up in his, wherever the hell we're assuming basement, because it was so filthy. And so like, you can't like to, to clean it. Yeah. To mix like different colors in one blender would be impossible. Yeah. We just had this like wall apparently of blenders or at least enough to mix his colors. And I mean, as a young apprentice, it was like, no, No, I don't want to do that at all. Um, So I never did learn that. (laughs) Yeah. Just (laughs) some sort of weird orchestral setup of blenders, you know, but no, so I didn't do that, but all the other stuff, the, you know, making machines, tuning machines, making needles, um, that was pretty much it. There was a fun thing um, when uh, Brad Kanak, the guy that originally got me into this, um, also became another mentor, um, but he came up with an idea one day, and I, I swear to God, it's parallel thinking. I'm, I'm assuming it's parallel thinking, but he's like, hey. I don't like this clip cord. I think we should use an RCA plug. And he made one up and then he showed me how to make it. So we started hooking all our machines up with RCA plugs. Oh, wow. And then I started seeing the kits online. It's like, oh, wow, look at that, Brad. We, we made those. Like, we, like that was your idea. Right. And now, I mean, everybody uses, almost everybody uses RCA yeah. plugs on their machines. They're just wired in. And I, I remember thinking, it's like, we should make these. Like, we should. Wow. But then you look, they're like a a buck or two, (laughs) you know, so it didn't make any sense. But at the time, I just remember being really shocked. Brad, of course, is a really smart guy and he had an associate's degree, I think, in electrical engineering or something. So it just made sense to him to try a different hookup. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I remember that was really cool with just like the, our machines were a little different. Everybody else had clip cords and here we were plugging in with RCA plugs and you know, that felt cool to have that, you know, yeah. to be able to make that and to adjust your machine to run with those. And, and, uh, they ran so much smoother, you know, those old clip cords, they would wear out the connection and eventually they'd start spitting and sputtering. So you'd have yep. to put new connections in there or get a new clip cord and file off all the carbons. And uh, stuff. Yeah. All the connections. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm old enough and I could say this and I'm sure I know a lot of my old friend artists would be like, loyal to the coil no matter what but i'll never go back (laughs) i'm a full convert to rotary machines (laughs) like well i mean it's funny that you say that because um there's a it's a double-edged sword right like because you know you know the difference and so Mm -hmm. that that for me is kind of when, when you're talking apprenticeships or when you're talking about apprenticeship stories Um, you know, it's been a hard thing for me because when teaching in my, my, you know, beginning, I was like, you know, I just wanted them to make money as soon as possible and then be able to make choices about what they wanted to be educated in afterwards, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I wish it would have happened for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so many options, you know, that like, you know, get, get an overall tattoo machine that'll do everything you want. And then, then once you start making money, you can diversify that and play a little bit more and, and see and explore. Um, but I have, as you said, you know, heard from people that are like loyal to the coil would make people, you know, learn everything they learned. And for my, for my thought on it was just like, well, you know, am I gonna, am I, if I have a, a a computer person and I don't even know what, like, I know there's computer science, there's all these different degrees, but if I have them, am, am I really going to teach them DOS first? Right. You know, like, is that relevant even anymore? I mean, I'm sure basic coding, I'm sure like concepts, language, all that stuff is, but, but do they have to have a block of a computer in front of them first? Do they have to have a dot matrix printer to understand, you know, like, like those concepts or can they understand them on a nostalgic level on a respectful level right and then you know in in concept know those things and then move on the thing is with coil machines is is that since i have started with them i feel that my ability to work with any machine is 
a lot better just because they teach you that tinkering, critical thinking, hacking thing where you, you kind of, if something's not going right, you're just like, hang this machine. I hate it. It's, and it's like a $600 machine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where like, like if you're a tinkerer and and at least, you know, those basic things about how to kind of work with something or like, Oh, you know, maybe it's me. (laughs) Maybe I don't know. And maybe I had to adjust. You, you go into it with a, a much different um, view of things rather than, you know, this is a faulty machine or whatever. Like, I do think that that kind of adds to it, but it's a hard thing. You know, it's a hard thing to, to gear because I do believe that there are race car drivers and there are mechanics. Yes. And, you know, you got to work with whatever one that you got. Um, mo- mostly I'm a race car driver. I, I just, <laughs> I want to get in a high performance vehicle. I don't want it to fuck up on me. I want to do right. what I got to do, get in, get out, go home. Um, I'm becoming more of a mechanic just because I am recognizing the, um, the added benefit to my craft, to my client, to my Liberty as an artist. Uh, if, if these things get taken away from me, cause they'll build yeah. you up and then strip you. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Yeah. So, at least with you, you know, if you get stripped all the way back to the time where you got to solder your own needles, you're like, I'm set, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, you could, you could, you know, knock me back to the stone ages and I could figure out how to tattoo still. Yep. Um, now you could get those blenders. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> I think, <clears throat> but see, now they have all those little ninja blenders. Like you wouldn't need the huge one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you'd mix just the perfect amount. <laughs> I'm picturing my nightmare of a basement right now with tiny little blenders all over the place. Seriously, man. Well, with kids even, like, can you imagine <laughs> any kind of pigment around a child is wildly inappropriate? <laughs> I, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I would let my son would come visit me at the shop every once in a while and he loves the colors. Um, and of course I keep everything, you know, super clean. So when he wants to start playing with the bottles, I'm like, it's, it's okay, bud. That's fine. So he, and he would put the colors out on a chair and I swear he would get really close to doing them in perfect, like Roy G. Biv, like he set them all up and I'm like, wow, that's okay. I didn't teach him that, but all right. So one day he's messing around and, and he had a bottle of, and it had to be blue. Of course. And he just eh, drops <sighs> it on the floor. And I mean, it hit the tip perfectly. So it just snapped and it was just blue everywhere. Oh man! And I, I just started laughing. I'm like, that is a hundred percent my fault. Like, <laughs> why am I letting my children play with this ink that I know could just make an absolute mess. And yeah, it was just blue. Every blue on his shoes, blue on his clothes. You know, I'm wiping it up on the floor and, and laughing. And my wife's just looking at me like. This is a teaching you know, moment. It's <laughs> all you, dude. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, if it's if there's any like like I like to take my left of my, the expired stuff home and try to do art stuff with it. Yeah. And that all gets locked away. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and and this was it in my household. So my dad had a pair of haircutting shears in our medicine cabinet, to which we only had one bathroom growing up. And you know, kids and scissors, right? Like, mm-hmm. first of all, like we don't know which ones do what. And there's always that household scissors that go missing that you can never fucking find. So right. when those would <laughs> go missing, I was like, oh, I remember scissors. Like so my dad's hair cutting shears, which you're not supposed to cut anything but hair. I would like cut cardboard. <laughs> and he was like, what the hell is going on here? Why are like my scissors? You cannot cut anything with these. And I'm like, why are you leaving them here in an unlocked medicine cabinet for children to have access to <laughs> fucking scissors, dude? Like sharp sharp this scissors. is on you <laughs> this is on you not me but i learned i learned i learned very young about haircutting shears <laughs> yeah wow it, there's i think there's nothing worse for a father than to see his tools used for the wrong thing <laughs> like, oh my god right you, you can murder the family cat you can you know not do your homework for a year but 
if you use my screwdriver to pry open something, I'm going to lose my mind, you know? Oh, dude. <laughs> For real, man. For real. But like you, my dad, you know, he always knew that like, okay, you know, this is wrong. I got to let you know it's wrong, but this is a teachable moment here. This is an opportunity for me to have a sit down and be like, so this is is what we do and don't do. And (laughs) this is what happens when we, when we do it wrong. (laughs) Now I'm going to cut your hair with the scissors that you dulled. So now you'll know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. man. (laughs) Ow. Yeah. It hurts. Doesn't it? Well, you don't touch dad's shears. That's right. Imagine cutting my nose hairs with these things now. (laughs) They're just, ow. ow. The hell? Oh, they're chipped. I wonder how that happened. (laughs) You were cutting linoleum? What? Why do you have linoleum? (laughs) No, I mean, all of that. All of that was accessible to us. I'm surprised we didn't get more hurt, honestly. we, I mean, we, we, we just knew we had like, I mean, back in the day, I don't know if you had this, but like, there was a fear, like there was just a, a parents made sure there was just enough fear of reprisal or whatever, whatever oh, happened yeah. that, that you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to dance the edge of this too far because <laughs> <laughs> my mom was scary. Yes. <laughs> my, was my, yes scary. my mother too. <laughs> My dad was just like, oh, you know, I'd go to his house and I'd screw up and he'd be like, well, did you learn your lesson? It's like, uh-huh, you know, <laughs> and, and my mom, you could hear her from the other side of the bill, <laughs> you know, and you're just, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I used to always say, I would rather my mom hit me than yell at me. Like, I mean, it was just, you, yeah. ah, it's like, I'll take the physical abuse. It's just a screaming. Like, <laughs> Oh, dude. <laughs> That was, that was my mom all day. So I was like, anything to avoid a confrontation on a verbal level with this woman. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And it's always that like, there is, you know, it, yeah. rare was the physical assaults and, and in retrospect, they were much better than yeah. the verbal. <laughs> way better, way, yeah. way better. So, so you learned how to make needles. You, yep. you did the right. Do you remember doing your first tattoo? What, what, it, what, what it was, what, what it was, what was yeah. it? <laughs> oh God. What, what it was. What, what it um, was. I, it was, oh, boy. um, I did it on myself, of course. Oh, right and I'm on. a firm, I am a super firm believer in that, that and when you're apprenticing, your first tattoo is on you always. Cool. Um, but it was, a, it was the nineties. Give me a break. Um, it was a tribal dragon kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. And it was on my calf. Tribal is um, good for a first tattoo. Oh, I, absolutely. That's like one of the best things you can do for a first tattoo. Yeah. And I'm definitely lucky in that period in time. It was a, there was a lot of tribal that was wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did two things spectacularly bad. Um, my outline was actually quite good um, for, for what it was. Um, but I had, I literally had the, oh, the, the, uh, oh, moment where you slipped. I literally had the, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, so he's going to have two tails. <laughs> yeah. So there was that. And then, and it, and I didn't even think about it until years later and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I put this on backwards. It was facing back. The shape of it fit my calf, but the head went back and I'm like, yeah. Uh, big faux pas. Yeah. Which is why you do it on yourself, you know. You're breaking it all the time in Europe right now or in certain things. Like people are it's a hard thing. Like things are facing backwards. And I guess it's yeah. I guess it's the whole like I did this for me kind of thing where Mm -hmm. tattoos are upside down or like it it has a symbolic or whatever, or it's just artful, like you said, like it fits the body better looking that way. Um, but the rules are kind of being broken with that a little bit now too. And I, it, it is, I am with you. I kind of like, because it was so ingrained, it kind of is like, no, you can't do that. Oh, when you see it. And I don't know if it's mental conditioning or if it really does just look weird, but when you see it, you're like, oh, oh no, no. Yeah. That's a really good tattoo, but oh no, you know, it's like, that's going the wrong way. And people, well, yeah. that's the way I wanted it. It's like, but it's going the wrong way. <laughs> like, you can't do that. 
Why did your artist talk you out of that? <laughs> no, it, it's, I'm sure it's half and half, you know, like I'm sure it's half and half, but like, yeah. I will say like, as far as like visual dynamics, um, there, there are rules within that. Like there, yeah. there is rules to composition and stuff. And I do think that there are things that just, when you look at them on the body, if they strike you in a, in a, like a, I don't know about that way. There's something there that on, on just the structure of the art itself and how it's placed on the skin, whether it's looking back or not, um, there's something that's not working there that maybe you can't really describe, but for us, it's just glaring. It's looking in the wrong direction. (laughs) I'm sure that's part of it. Like, like I said, some of the ones that are breaking the rules now, I feel like, I feel like they fit the body well. Um, at least there was the shape and things like that, but like yeah. still in my head, it's like, that's not really what you're supposed to do, but okay. You know, I just, I go, it's not my body, not my body, not my tattoo. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of intentional rule breaking in tattooing. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Um, and I think it has, and, and I think it makes sense in a way to tattooing. I've always considered tattooing to be a very sort of punk rock lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, especially when I started and, and before that, like you were going against the norm to become a tattoo artist, you know? Um, and I'm not surprised now that because it's become so accepted tattooing, that people are looking to break rules. Like they're like, Hey, I'm supposed to be part of this punk rock thing. And I mean, you can't throw a brick without hitting a tattoo artist nowadays, you know? So when you see artists putting things on backwards or there are certain artists that I have seen, and I'm not going to name names because their tattoo or their art style is their own and, and whatever. But I see things that I think are have less quality than like a child's art mm-hmm. and they're insanely popular. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's going, that's literally a reaction to these beautiful, perfect tattoos where people are like, I don't want that. I want this scratchy looking thing. Yeah. It makes no sense. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> rebel. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, they're, they're, it's like trying to find those areas. And, and so now it, it kind of makes sense when you see things, when they're face tattoos. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. the, the holy of holies. Like yeah. you didn't do your didn't face do unless you were covered and probably a tattoo artist or probably a welder. I mean, like, it was like you. You're being nice. Barrier. Yeah. <laughs> You're being very <laughs> nice with your categories. <laughs> um just gonna say yeah and i mean now you go on like i i mean and i love tiktok for a million reasons but you go on tiktok and it's like just the people with tattoos on their faces all over and it's like (laughs) that's not even a thing anymore how is this rebellious like it's it's just not anymore it's now it's a means of of expression and and um style and fashion and and all this other stuff and so but it's permanent And so that's, that's my thing with it is always being like, um, you know, I'm not a parent, but there's a lot of mom in me as far as how I look at things. And, and even as a tattoo artist, how I've approached things, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, as you know, before I started tattooing, I was a, I was a a barber. So I, I made a decision very early on in my life that whatever, and, and one that was accessible to me, I was going to school for art. I was, I was really good. I was being recognized by people as an artist before that was ever anything that I did for money, you know? So people were seeing me as that, you know, the whole thing where you have to like declare you're an artist, like you don't have to declare you're an artist. People see it in you. Right. That was already happening to me. So early on, I was able to make a rule of like a, just an agreement to myself that I wouldn't work a job where I couldn't express myself any way I wanted to, either via my yeah. hair color, you know, my my appearance. It was going to be 
completely irrelevant. Like whatever I did, I wanted to make sure that nobody would give a shit about how I looked and I could be as crazy as I wanted to be. That was a rule for myself early on. Um, which, you know, that's not something you just declare. That was something that was very based on logical things that I knew about myself. Like I told my, my (laughs) ex-boyfriend going back to that, the art came first. Like that's Mm -hmm. not something you wage war with. This is a part of who I am, the gift that I was born with to, to, you know, be on this planet with, like it's ingrained, like, and as you said, it's not even something to compete with. It's something to lean into and just Mm -hmm. follow. So that was, that was something, but now like, you know, there's so many ways to like express yourself and, and whatever. For me, it's like early on guys, like if I could put anything out there, like don't walk too hard and fast into the permanent ones, <laughs> like, right. you know, like I, I get it. And there's going to be a whole generation of you like that. You're all going to be like, yeah, man, you know, this is what we did. Um, you know, it'll happen. Uh, I know it will happen and it'll be fine and it'll go whatever way it has to. But I've still met, I ran into a woman on my way, a flight attendant. I ran into a flight attendant who saw my tattoos and she was like, I love your tattoos. They're beautiful. But I'm in a position where I have to get my little ones lasered off in order to climb in my company. And I was like, the fuck? That's still happening? Yeah. (laughs) How is that still happening? (laughs) It was kind of baffling to me. And she was like, yeah, you know, it wasn't even, she was like, it wasn't even offensive or anything. It was like my, it's like a little symbol of my family that I had on my wrist that I have to get lasered off. And I was like, man, that sucks. It does. That it sucks. Does. That's a flight attendant, everyone. Like, right. <laughs> and it's, it's sadly one of those things where you're the face of the company, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I think those will be some of the last, you know, places that will almost always be, they try to be as non-offensive as possible, yeah. you know? And so when you're a, a, you know, a, a flight attendant or bank teller or somebody that, you know, you're the face that they see every day. There's always going to be this pressure to be as bland, I guess, as possible to be as accepted as possible, you know, so that if conservative people come in or progressive people come in, whatever, nobody looks to and goes, Oh, I have a problem with your appearance, you know, so that that way the company does as much business as possible. Well, and 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 just to its credit, you know, those were the kind of jobs that we had to, when we were learning to tattoo or do hair or whatever, those were the kind of jobs I had to have. You know, I worked at Starbucks. I've worked at a bagel bakery. I've worked at Victoria's Secret. I've, you know, I've, I've worked at these, these companies and been a face of those things. And I can tell everyone, honestly, like working those fields first and seeing how corporate America and all of these things work were invaluable information as a person going into my own business or, mm-hmm. you know, constructing those things. And what you learn, if you do, if you do relent and you do like kind of leverage yourself enough to know where you're at in life, you know, you're not in a phase where you have any accolades behind you. You're making them <laughs> like you right. have to yeah. cultivate your resume if, if you can just hang all of that stuff and like, you know, for the time being, cause I did, I had to do yeah. it. Um, I, I, you know, once I knew my path, I knew that what, where I could break the rules and where I could fall into them. I didn't get my neck tattoo until I was a tattoo artist for a very <laughs> long time. So, you know, I, I played it safe, you know, throughout all of those things. And I, I, I recommend people doing that because there's nuggets of things that you pick up in each job that you have in each category of life. And it also makes you a better person for your client because your client might be in that phase too, where they're transitioning or, or they're, they're looking for a certain in or out for whatever they're doing. And you have to give them, you know, nuggets of truth from your own experience. Yeah you know, that could really help influence them and guide them in the right way. And that's, yeah. that, you know, we have great power as tattoo artists because I see us as ultimate um, brand ambassadors. Like, I think that we are people who really help um, people recognize their own personal branding, but that's, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a heavy responsibility. 
it, it, yeah, it truly is. And okay. it's, uh, it's hard because you want to help your client. You want to, you want to give them what they want. You want to make them happy. Um, but then just knowing, you know, being from that, you know, that world, you know, before tattooing that it's like, Hey, if you're 18 or 19 and you're still trying to make your way, don't throw these roadblocks up right away. Yeah. You, know, you might be able to hurdle them. Sure. But you're making your life harder. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't always land. Some yeah. people understand. Some people don't. I've had people uh, leave in a huff, you know, and, and oh, I'll never come back here. And, you know, you're an elitist and blah, 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 blah. And, and I wanted to explain to him that back in the day, like it was way worse. Like nah. you just had to have permission. Like you, you would have to be so covered in tattoos before you could touch your hands or your face or anything like that. A tattoo artist would just be like, You'd no, have to run you out of haven't room. earned it. <laughs> yeah. You, you haven't, haven't run earned out it. Of room. You haven't earned it. Yep. You know, you, you don't, you if we were so elitist back then, supposedly that you had to earn the right to get those tattoos and your tattoo artist would look at you and be like, no, dude, you don't, you haven't earned it. Well, and that's the thing is that it was kind of like my, um, my gynecologist, when I said I didn't want to have kids, he he was like, well, you can't get your tubes tied until you're 30. You won't, you, you won't know what you want until then. And in my mind, I was like, I know what I fucking want now, dude. Yeah. But, But the truth is, had he spent a little more time psychologically back in the day and, and still it's, it's known that when women hit 30, they do start really thinking about their reproductive life and they reach that age where they're stable enough in all the other parts of their life that they can make that call. So yeah. that's what he really meant. Right. But, but he didn't, he didn't elaborate enough for me to be like that motherfucker. I mean, he did tie my tubes when I took 30 and he was on, I was on the phone with him right away. And he was like, yeah, man, let's do it Tuesday. <laughs> he was like, you've earned it, baby. Right. <laughs> you've reached the goal. You yeah. can have your tubes tied now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, um, I, I feel that on, on the, the young person perspective of just like, you're so eager. And that's like part of this apprenticeship diaries too. It's like, you're yeah. so eager, you're so hungry. I, and we understand that. Um, but part of it is like letting you, like letting the people that are, that are telling these stories you know, inform you a little bit about the things they wish, like you had said, I wish I wouldn't have joked in that interview. Like what would my life would have been, right. you know, you don't know, but um, as it stands right now, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, but, but, you know, just because, you know, we're saying, Hey, here's a perspective um, given all of the shit that I did, you know, that like, I'm telling you, like, I mean, I made it, I'm here, but like, had I had the opportunity to reflect upon this and do it differently, I can tell you, this is probably what I would have chosen to do. Don't shirk that information. Like that's good yeah. information. Don't rebel too much again. It don't like hipster card it. Don't, you know, you're elitist, whatever. Um, right. <clears throat> it, it's, it's somebody giving you an opportunity to um, earn something because there, yeah. there, there is an earning of, of yeah. all of this there. Is, and I, I try to look at it less as gatekeeping and more of like, you know, these are, these are people that I aspire to be like, you know, these are people that I want something from, you know, I have yeah. to, I have to think about it that way. Like yeah. I, I want something from them and I have to think about it the same as I do this tool that might not be working for me the way right. I want it to work for me how do I, is it them or is it me? And right. I need to look a little harder in my own reflection and kind of make some adjustments there about my attitude. Um, so, you know, went on a tangent, but it seems <laughs> like you already know those things kind of right away. <laughs> You're like, Oh, this isn't working for me. I've got a switch pivot and now I'm in a, an apprenticeship and doing needles and all of that stuff. Um, so, uh, it was a tribal dragon. I'm getting yes, us back yeah. on track. Uh, <laughs> now, what was the um, the landscape? Was it very much so like, I mean, for me, there was a lot of walk-ins. There was a lot of flash. There was Cherry Creek. There was, there was, <laughs> there was some amazing things. And I'm just like, why, why did we ever think that? How did Cherry Creek ever become a thing? I, uh, 
<laughs> I think that was my second tattoo of myself was that big yellow koi fish with the red right? dot. <laughs> At least it was the bigger ones. And I, I, to this day, I still like it. I'm like, yeah. Cherry Creek, Cherry Creek would have this just in the end, it was good. It was good. It just couldn't be tattooed the size that they presented it. Almost never. Yeah. And it was just so good and so popular that, I mean, it was just like after a while, like, oh my God, if I have to do those cherries one more time with the little right. tribal behind them, you know? Dude. <laughs> and, and I still have it. I still, I still have it in too. a box in my basement are just piles of that Cherry Creek flash. You know? I'm waiting for the day that shit becomes vintage as hell and I can be like, look, see, I got it. I, got I it. think <laughs> it's like any day now. Somebody is yeah. going to go, dude, I went out and got this old school Cherry Creek stuff and, and they're going to go wild and all of us old folks are just going to sit back and go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the day that, that the actual things that I have just in themselves are a collector item. Like, cause right. you don't get them print. Like, you know, I don't know if they're printing them still. Who fucking knows? Like, are they? I feel like it's, it's it like somewhere somebody is still printing. Yeah, man, I don't, maybe, maybe, (laughs) but I got it. I got it all. So whatever happens, I'm ready. (laughs) No, um, no. So the the experience was, I mean, it was, again, it was a small shot. That wraps up part one of Amy's interview with Patrick Ross, otherwise known as Rogue Sketch on Instagram. Please tune in next week to hear part two. Thanks for listening. You can find The Apprenticeship Diaries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our IG is the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries. If you would like to offer constructive criticism or an interview, drop us an email at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com. We We look look forward forward to hearing from from our listeners. listeners.